he's got. Oh, turn to your neighbor and say, I hope he's not real long today. Something like that. Whatever, you know. You never know. If you wish it, you might get it. <laughs> ah, it's fun to fill in. It's fun to have ministry. In fact, I, I'm sharing on the subject of change today, of how change is in our lives. Heather and Pete have gone through just a major change. Don was a real, real anchor in their lives. Pete uh, was mentored by Don as far as coming from Bible college. That was his first assignment right there, and he sat under Don's ministry. He learned so much. And I, I see Don Fry in Pete a lot. I really do. Uh, his gentleness, his kindness, his thoroughness in the scriptures, uh, his devotion to prayer. And I see that in your pastor very, very much. And a lot of that is because he sat under a great mentor, and, and I surely give God all the praise and glory for that. And know he's going to continue to do more. Um, we go through seasons of change, all of us in our lives, and most of the times these changes are uh, interesting, <laughs> uh, weird sometimes. I think we'll read the scripture, then we'll get right into the word about seasons of change. I have five points I want to share with you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Were we able to get uh, all those wrapped up? Oh, good. I, I was the last minute entry there for some of those. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm going to just stand here and read it from the side. I, I have a different translation, but there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain for their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Finally, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. May God bless the reading of his scriptures and endure it and endear it to your heart. Amen. Um, someone said a long time ago, said that one constant thing in life 
is the concept of change. Think about that. The one constant thing in life is change. Uh, many things change in life, don't they? Uh, not that you and I have changed any, but <clears throat> over the years, these, these temples of ours, these bodies of ours go through changes. Uh, and, you know, seasons of change. Um, it's sort of a, a roller coaster, but it's constant. Up and down, but it's constant. There seems to be always change, always change happening. And we either, as, as we say, go with the flow or just say, I don't want anything to change and become stubborn in our ways. You know, careers change. How many here have had more than one career in your life? Raise your hand. You've done more than one thing in your life. Yeah, most of us have done several things in our lives uh, as far as what we would call careers or jobs. And we change, sometimes good, sometimes not so good, but most times good. Most of the times we change, it's really for the good. And, and that's great. Uh, families change. Uh, families grow up. I love the babies in the house, don't you? It's not a special time to have babies. Any of you young mothers or to be young mothers, I'll tell you, that baby will keep you up all night and you'll have work on your hands beyond measure, but it is such a precious, wonderful time in your life. But they change and uh, uh, they grow up and they become these, things, these critters they call teenagers. And uh, interesting time in their lives, but you know what? I look back at my boys and other teenagers I've known, what a precious time. They're, they're stretching and growing and changing and, and all those things are happening. The hormones are going crazy and their ideals are changing and everything's happening in their lives. But now that I look back, I think, what a wonderful time. Change. Um, houses. Now, I've had distinction. I think, Marianne, we've lived in 11 houses in our lifetime. Have, how many here have lived in 11 or more? More than 11. A couple of them. Yeah. Several. Uh, that the, the majority of you have lived in your houses probably less than that. But in the ministry, you kind of have to do it when you change now and then. Um, Cars. I'm not sure how many cars I've had. I, I don't, I, I, I've tried to count. And then I thought, oh, I remember. Yeah, I had that one for a short time and so forth. But quite a few cars. I would imagine, I'm going to guess here, probably 20 cars at least in my lifetime. Something like that. Uh, how many here think you've had at least 20 in your, in your life? Yeah, yeah, quite a few of us. It's hard, it's hard to keep track, isn't it? I'd be a rich man if I had my original car and it was still going. Of course, it had like 3 million miles on it by now. But uh, if I could have kept that original car and never had to trade it, uh, it'd, be, it'd be quite a thing. But I had to change. Um, health has changed. I, I would say my first 50 years of my life, I had what I would call divine health. I really did. Hardly ever got sick. Had sniffles once in a while. Rarely got a headache. Uh, I, I was blessed. And the first 50 years. Then it changed. In my late 50s, I encountered cancer, and it was a big change. I went from super healthy to super unhealthy. Uh, just overnight. What a change. What a change. Some of you have experienced some health changes. Uh, don't expect them, do you? Um, and some of those health changes come slowly, others quickly. And uh, never quite ready for that change, but it happens. Ultimately, in our life, 
Our life changes. It just does. And so you can see as you look at your life, and I don't know if, you're, if the wheels are moving right now in your head thinking about your life, but mine kind of is, about the changes I've gone through. Uh, there have been many changes in my life. Uh, Mary Ann and I have experienced what I call the four major changes in our life. Number one, both of us went from sinners to saved. That was a big change. That was a good one, too. Or from the world to Christ. That same thing. Sinner to saved. Hallelujah. How many of you can say amen? That happened to you, too. Amen. That's a good one. Then, this is maybe a little different for us, but not entirely from some of you. We went... Uh, Marianne and I went from civilians to soldiers. We had been civilian Christians prior to the call. Then God says, I want you in my army. And I, and, I, and I said, but I'm not very good at marching. He says, I'll teach you. I said, I'm not very good at saluting. He said, I'll teach you. I said, I'm not very good at firing weapons. He said, I'll teach you. And God took me into that holy army, a soldier of the Lord. And uh, that was a big change. It happened to Marianne, too. She went from civilian, although she grew up in a parsonage, and she, all she's ever known in her life is living in a pastor's home. And uh, still prior to the call she received in her life, she was a civilian. But then she became a soldier. Then the third thing that happened to us, we went as soldiers from tent makers to what I call full-time headache. I mean, full-time servants. Full time. That was a big change. Uh, we, we pastored uh, maybe 10 or 12 years as tent makers. What that means is we had to have a job besides the ministry, you know. And it was difficult. I have to tell you, it was very difficult. It's a good thing you're young when you go through that part. Because I was working 40, 50, sometimes 60 hours a week on a job and then trying to pastor a church. Marianne was working at home sometimes 30, 40 hours a week at home, uh, babysitting, piano lessons, you name it. And uh, we went from that to full-time. Boy, was that a blessing. That was such a blessing that God said, okay, it's time. You've, you show me you're serious enough about it that you're going to stick it out even if you have to pay your way. And uh, we were allowed to go full-time, and that was such a thrill. Now, some of you young people, it, thinking about the ministry, I'm gonna t I'll talk to you about my first full-time church. This was the first full-time church, what they considered full-time church. And I negotiated to get this high salary because it was substantially lower. But I went to a town called Sway City, Iowa. That's where the Swedes, the Swedish people, live in Iowa. It's a big community of Swedes up in northern Iowa, south of Minneapolis, just right at the border. And communities of Swedish and Danish, but mostly Swedish. Uh, we have Olsons and we have Olsens. And uh, I, I learned to eat Swedish food. I, Ludafist, I could never handle. That's the rotten fish thing they have. They take fish and they, they cure it till it becomes rotten. It stinks. It's nasty, beyond nasty. And they eat it like it's candy. I never got there. Never quite. I tried to fit in in every way. But anyway, we went there and they said, Pastor, we want you to be full time. I said, I want to be full time. And they said, we'll give you $65 a week in a parsonage. Well, even in, even in uh, 1970, 72, that wasn't very much money. It's really not much money now, is it? 
Some of you make more than that an hour. Well, maybe not. Or maybe. Uh, so I negotiated, and we ended up getting the big salary of $85 a week. That was going to be, and we, we, I said, I can do it. I didn't have a job. I just lived by faith, and it was lived by faith, too. Uh, and that was our first thing. But what I loved, I'd wake up in the morning and sit going, oh, it's, it's 6 o'clock. I better hit the road. I've got to get to work. I'd say, it's 6 o'clock. Oh, I'm going to go to the study and read and pray and seek God and just have time alone with the Lord. It was such a revelation. It was such a wonderful change in my life. And for Marianne, too. Although I don't know for Marianne if it was such a, a blessing for her because that meant I was home more often. And you know, husbands that stay home more often, it's not always that good. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, we went through that change and we loved it. And uh, it was a big change. The final change was from what I call the run, run, hurry, hurry stage of my life to retirement. <laughs> it was a big change for us. I was pastoring a church, very busy. I mean, very busy. Uh, I, I made the mistake of trying to lead the way in doing things in the church so people would do it. You know, by example, like if I drive the church bus, I'll start driving and somebody will say, Pastor, you shouldn't be driving that bus. Let me drive it for you. But five years later, my plan was not working. Nobody said, I'll take that. So besides pastoring a pretty good-sized church and I, I did it as an example. I said, I, I can even do that, I said. And so, drove the bus. Marianne had, I don't know how many jobs, probably 20 or 30 jobs. I mean, they're pretty substantial. And both of us said, you know, this is the one church where our example meant nothing. They just stood back and applauded. Way to go, Pastor. Way to go, Marianne. You're doing a great job. We appreciate it. That's okay. But we were hoping for something more significant, like, hey, I'll do that for you. We'll do that for you. Never happened. So we went from hurry, hurry, rush, rush to retirement, which is really slow in comparison. I love it. It's just great. But I have not retired from my faith. I have not retired from my commitment. I have not retired from the word of God. I have not retired from prayer life. I have not retired from witnessing. I have not retired in any way as to my testimony. Just because you retire from work doesn't mean you retire from the Lord. So those are four major changes in our lives. And like I said, some, some things are gradual and some are very swift. Like for me, um, gaining weight has always been a gradual thing. Some people gain fast. I gain slowly, but man, I do gain. Uh, uh, some of you are testimony of that too. Anyway, we gain usually pretty slow. You know, you, you gain two pounds in, in a month. You don't think about it, do you? But at the end of the year, you gain two pounds every month. All of a sudden, you're up. You say, man, I'm almost 25 pounds heavier than I was last year. That's gradual, isn't it? You don't even know it. It just happens. That's a gradual thing. Uh, I kind of did this, too. Uh, I, I gradually lost my hair. I thought I was losing my mind, but it was just my hair, uh, or maybe both. It, the other thing that happened to me, I gradually started to gray. I see some of the younger people in this church have a few gray hairs. 
I'm not going to point them out to you because they'll drive you crazy, but I've noticed. Um, <clears throat> it's a gradual thing. Honestly, in the ministry, it was a good thing for me. When I was a 30-year-old preacher and I knew everything there was to know about everything, I was in charge, I was large, those few gray hairs really helped. Because <laughs> I didn't know much, I couldn't do much, but man, those gray hairs helped, the few that I had. Uh, <clears throat> That's a gradual thing. Um, then there's things that happen suddenly. I remember when Dean, my oldest son, and Peter, my second born, went to kindergarten. You know, one day they're jumping on you and playing games, and I, they'd jump on my back, and I'd, I'd be like a horse for them around the house, you know, and go up and down the steps and around the living room with the kids on my back. And i go from that day, and i see that little tiny boy going to kindergarten. And when he left to go to kindergarten, Dean, I realized that was a big change. Peter did the same thing. I had two now in school, and it was a big change. Uh, kind of sad, really exciting. I was really excited for him, but kind of sad a little bit too. Then um, another thing that happens suddenly is uh, loved ones who pass. I remember my, my life when people that I loved very much suddenly passed, even those that I knew were dying, and I had time to get ready for it. It was hard, just like it is for you. There's nobody immune to that. There's nobody that gets a pass slip, says you'll never suffer from loved ones leaving you. But it's a change, isn't it? Man, especially when my, my parents died. My dad died in 77. He was a young man, I mean relatively young, still in his uh, 50s, no, 60s, early 63, Marianne's showing me, and just a young man, and uh, some of you are saying, that's young? Yeah, it is, really, uh, especially at my age, it seems young. Anyway, uh, and then my mom, my mom died in 2000, and both those changes were significant. I was a, I was a young man myself in 1977. I was not, not very old. And uh, dad died. I, I had no words. I had no, no readiness for that change. I, I wasn't ready to go back to Jefferson, Iowa, where I grew up, and go to the house that I grew up in and not have dad there. It was weird. It was hard. It was heart-wrenching. I, I was flooded with you know, melancholy and, and all kinds of uh, anxiety about losing dad. I went through that. That was quite a change. And that happened suddenly, just suddenly. My mom, she was a, a little different. She, she'd been in a nursing home for quite a few years. My mom had what they, they called a radical an, aneurysm in her, head, in her brain. And in the old days, they used to do lobotomies. Is that how you say it? Is that the right word? Where they cut your head clear open. They laid the skull open. They laid my mom's skull clear open, went in after it, and when they were fixing the rupture in her brain, which is when an aneurysm is, it's when a vein balloons in, and it exploded. And when it exploded, thank the Lord they were in there when it happened and it saved her life. But it caused her to have to go to a nursing home for quite a few years, uh, probably 
20 years, 20 some years in a nursing home. And not quite mom like I knew her before. And so when she died, uh, it was quite a change for me too. Now I had no parents. And for the first time, the reality of, ooh, I'm the next line. There's nobody, there's nobody ahead of me now. I, I'm the next oldest, you know, as far as my, my parents. And some of you know that feeling, don't you? Remember some of those changes that you went through when people you love? It's a, it's a, it's a radical change, but change happens, whether it's hair loss or a, a, a loved one or whatever it might be. Um, it's funny about changes, too. My mom had a saying before she got so sick. She used to say this. She, she said, the first 10 years of your life, life crawls. The first 10 years. You know, time crawls. Second 10 years, life walks. Your third 10 years, life runs. And anything after 30, it's flying. And that's what my mom used to say all the time. It crawls, it walks, and it runs. And it flies. And it does. And during that time, there's lots of changes. Lots of things changing in our lives. I was thinking about Heather and Pete. There'll be a big change in their life. And they'll need your love. They'll need your support. Now, they've been doing that for you for 10 years here as a church. Don't, don't feel bad about going up and putting your arm around Heather or Pete and say, I, I love you and uh, I know God is with you and, and things like that because it, it is quite helpful. But they're going through that change and we all go through it. It's, it's sort of a hard thing. Um, well, why all these changes? Why all these, why all these things happen to us in life? And, and so I think about changes and why they mean something. I came up with five things about changes. Um, let me talk to you about the opposite of a change. The opposite of a change is when you drive your car, and one day, when you hit the brakes, you hear this. You know, what you know what's probably happening? Sounds like your brakes are going out, doesn't it? You ever done that? Where you, you hit your brake, and you hear this squeaky sound? screechy little sound well there's a couple of things that could happen probably it's it's what they call the the brake pads and that's what actually goes against the drum and holds it right tight and that's what slows you down they're not very big those brake pads aren't like huge things they're just little pads but there's one on each tire and they they push against the the drum which is inside right by your wheel and uh it slows you down Worse than that, that once in a while, those brake pads have, have worn down so much that it's down to metal, and guess what it's doing now? It's making holes. It's making a groove in that drum. <laughs> and man, when you have that happen, you're talking big money. All of a sudden, from maybe a couple hundred dollars, you're looking at a whole lot more money than that. How many here have ever had to have your brake pads replaced or done? Anybody? A few of you? How many have ever had the drums done? Had to have them turned or new ones. Oh, man, that's a whole other story. It's awful. It makes, I'm getting heartburn just thinking about it because it's just you just feel bad. It, and what it is, the, the, the brakes are getting old, and maybe they got wet, and maybe they got dry, and maybe you used them a lot. Like Pete had his, Pastor Pete had his done a lot out in Pennsylvania. Have you ever been to where, uh, where Pastor Pete lives? The town is like this, woo, woo, woo. It's up and down all over the place. It's all hills. Springdale, there's not a flat, I don't think there's a flat surface in that town. Maybe, maybe the highway is about it. 
It's just all hills. And he'd go through his, he'd go through a, a set of breaks about every year. You have to have them replaced about every year. It's not that, quite that bad around here, is it? But what happens then is it makes grooves, or what I'd call ruts, in the brake drum. And if you take it off and you look, you can actually see it, can't you? You ever seen the brake drum, what it looks like? Big old rut, big old groove in it. Makes me think of a story when I was in Bible college. There was a, there was a young man I was going to Bible college with. His name was Fred Lehman. And Fred would later, later be a, a missionary to the Philippines. But when we were in Bible college together, he was just one of the guys. And uh, Fred, such a great guy. But he liked to use the back road going to the Bible college, which was dirt. And go f- instead of going out on the highway, making a, a turn and go back into the Bible college, he'd go in the back way, and it was a dirt road. It was spring. It had been rainy. And he took the back road. And I don't know. It had to take somebody not very smart to take that back road. But as I was taking that back road, I found him stuck. So you didn't get that. Yeah. As I was taking that road, <laughs> I, he was stuck. What had happened, there were such deep ruts in this thing, and it had been raining, and the bottom of his car just fell. He, his transmission was on the ground. His wheels were spinning. He was in a deep rut. Now, um, I always say the definition of a rut is when the wheels are spinning and the scenery ain't changing, you know you're in a rut. And that's what Fred was doing that day. And we finally got him out and so forth. But um, I, I heard someone once say, too, that the difference between a grave and a rut is just a matter of feet. <laughs> and sometimes we get in a rut. Things have worn over and over and over. Or you're stuck in the mud. Or you're down in that. And it's, and it's tough. And so we know what a rut's all about. I've been in a rut before. Rut really means it's something you've done over and over and over till you carved a groove and you're comfortable. Now, is it possible that God's children can get in a rut? Is it possible that you and I could ever do the same things over and over and over and call it good, by the way, and find out we're in a rut? You know what's tough about a rut? It's hard to get out of it. When I was helping Fred to get out of that, this happened to be Sunday. And uh, we both at that time were living in the dormitory uh, of the school. I wasn't married yet. and uh, But I had my suit on, and I'd gone ministering at a church. And uh, I saw him, so I took my jacket off, you know, so I could help him. Well, the first time... He hit that throttle. <laughs> I was covered. Just from there to there with mud. And from that time on, it didn't matter because I had already ruined my shirt, my tie, my dress pants. The jacket was in great shape. It was in the car. But by the time I got him out, I had, I think I had mud in my teeth. I had mud in my nose. I had mud in my eyeballs. <laughs> I had mud everywhere. We got him out, but it took a long time, pushing, shoving, and so forth and so on, and it took a lot of effort. Man, it's hard to get out of a rut. It's really hard to get out of a rut. And I've actually heard Christians say, you know, it's, 
it's kind of hard to be stuck in the mud. I've actually heard Christians say, it's kind of hard when you're in a rut to get out. It's kind of hard when I'm really used to things over and over and over, and I kind of like it over and over and over, and the same, the same, the same. And now I want to get out of it, and it's pretty hard. Ah. The Holy Spirit abhors. He hates complacency. I believe the Holy Spirit does not like his people to be stuck in the mud. I don't believe that he cares for our complacency. I don't believe that God really likes the fact that we do the same thing over and over and over and over until we're in a rut. But I'll say this, the Holy Spirit is ready to help anybody who wants to get out of a rut. He'll help us get out of there and do things that are new and exciting. It's funny about us, isn't it? My flesh seeks comfort. Maybe I'm the only one here. Uh, we all like it. I have, I have what they call, some of you have heard of this term. In my house, I have what they call a lazy boy chair. That baby is, was an, that, that name of that chair was actually dedicated to me. Lazy boy chair. And sometimes I feel like the little boy. And I sit down in that lazy boy chair, and it's soft, and it's comfortable, and it's just a little bigger than me, it's just so it's so perfect. And I have a coordination between that chair and my eyelids. As soon as I hit that chair, my eyelids say, it's time to take a nap. And uh, I do that on a regular basis. And they, it just is a nice working relationship between my eyelids and that lazy boy chair. Some of you are looking so innocent, you do the same thing, and you know it. Uh, you have a, a chair or a place that, oh, man, it's just, it, it, it's great. Uh, well, I seek comfort, ease, rest. I like all my ducks in a row. I really don't like surprises, nor do you, really. Well, maybe if somebody surprises you with money, that's, that's different, or a gift or something like that. But overall, most of us don't like surprises. We kind of like our routines, don't we? We kind of like the way it is. Uh, I don't like a lot of changes. Some changes I just really don't like. You know, when they happen, I don't, I don't want to change. We all know as Christians that it's not healthy, nor is it God's will, that our life, our life in the river, our life in the flow of God, gets stuck in a rut. I kind of see it like, I'm in Jerusalem now, and I get a chance to go to Jerusalem, and the vehicle I'm in is right on the outskirts of Jer Jerusalem. I'm stuck. And God's saying, come on into my, come into my town. I want to show you the beauty of this city. I want to show you all around, all the wonderful things you can see. And I say, I can't because I'm stuck. My car's stuck. I'm stuck. I'm in a rut. Well, I think Christians can be like that. Young people, you guys can be just as stuck as old people. Old people, you can be just as stuck as people like me, young guys like me, just as much. <clears throat> Actually, it doesn't matter whether you're young, old, in between, male, female, been in the church 100 years or been in church just a few weeks. It doesn't really matter. We all have a tendency to get stuck, to get in routines, 
that make a rut. And the wheels are turning, the scenery ain't changing. We understand that. Well, here's the five points. That's my introduction. Sermon only take twice as long as that. It's uh, 19 after 11, according to that clock back there, I think. I'm not quite used to these lights like Pastor is, but uh, we have time. Number one, if you're going through change in your life, remember this. Change almost always involves pain and discomfort. Almost always involves pain and discomfort. The old phrase was, God puts thorns in our nest. How true is that? When I want to nest, oh, when I want to get in my lazy boy, God puts a thorn in it and says, you've got work to do. Oh. And the only way I'll get out of that chair is because there's a thorn in it. And in our lives, sometimes we go through change and it does have pain. I think about, I've done, oh man, hours and hours of marriage counseling. I don't know how many hours. I suppose Marianne probably had better because she, she was home a lot of those nights. Uh, I probably have a, a year of solid marriage counseling. In 50 years of ministry, probably a year of that would be almost counseling. And I, I heard everything. I heard everything from, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. We don't have any fire in our marriage anymore. Uh, he does this wrong. She does that wrong. And, and so forth and so on. And my, my thing I'd say to marriage couples a lot of times, I'd say, okay, you don't have a perfect mess. A marriage, you have a per- perfect mess, a marriage. Anyway, um, I'd say you don't have a perfect marriage, but it could be that God's putting a thorn so you depend on him. Sometimes we go through pain and discomfort for very real people. Some people just can't accept the fact that God does anything that would hurt us. You ever been around people like that? God would never hurt you. God would never hurt you. God would never do anything you didn't want. God would never do anything that made you uncomfortable. God would never allow pain in your life. Well, then I, I'm a loser if that's the case because I've, I love God with all my heart. I'm ready to die for him. I'm ready to live for him. I'm ready to give my life for him in any way I can. But I'll tell you what, I've had pain in my life. And so have you. And my pain is not a measurement of my success or unsuccessfulness with God. But it is an indicator that God needs to get a hold of my, my life and shake me. Um, in Acts chapter 8, there's a scripture, verses 3 and 4, that we'll read here in just a moment, that happened in the early church. First of all, the early church stayed in Jerusalem for a long time. For a long time, Jerusalem was just a, a comfortable, wonderful place to be. Uh, the Christian church in Jerusalem flourished. All the big shots were there. The disciples, you know, the followers of Jesus, they were all there. And then something happened. There was a guy by the name of Stephen that came along. Stephen was a man appointed to help them. It seemed like the biggest conflict in the church was who's going who's gonna to clean up the table after we eat? Who's going to get food ready for the widows? Who's going to have food for the, for the unfortunate and the poor? Who's going to take care of all this stuff? They had a little bit of conflict. Then a real conflict took place. They appointed a leader to do a lot of that work. And he started to preach the gospel. And he was stoned to death. In fact, our scripture here in Romans 8. But Saul began to destroy the church. 
This is right after Stephen. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Stephen died. He was one of the true great men of God, and he died. And Paul started going from house to house, ripping families apart. How would you like somebody to invade your house and take away your husband? Oh, don't say amen, ladies. Um, take away something else other than your husband. Um, they did. They took away husbands, wives, children, parents. There was no social system to take care of single women. No social system to take care of children. When they took the man away, when the parents were taken away, those children were out on the streets. There was nothing for them. The hardship was unbearable, unbelievable, what happened in the early church. And that Saul character, who would later become Paul, was in charge of it from house to house. Men, women, children being thrown into jail. Uh, if you read, uh, if you read just, uh, Josephus' history of the Jews, you'll find out that they give a number of, they felt like in Jerusalem, between the time of the ascension and the time that they, of this scripture right here, the next scripture I'm going to read, there was probably 20,000 people who were either imprisoned or murdered in Jerusalem, in one city, in that short period of time. They did everything. The Romans, the devout Jews, did everything they could to get the Christians out of there. So, now the next verse. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, was there pain in Jerusalem? Was there a change for them? Yeah. Stephen died. And the change was, we've got to get out of town. We've got to get out of here. They're killing my children. They're killing my family. I'm going to take my kids and we're going to run to Damascus. We're going to run to Antioch. We're going to run somewhere. Get out of here. Let's go. And there was a huge exodus from the city of Jerusalem of Christians who went everywhere. And what did they do when they went everywhere? They were scattered and preached the word wherever they went. They were there in Jerusalem before preaching to the choir. They were there ministering to one another all the time. Now, because there was pain and suffering and even death, a change so dramatic that they had to do something. That change led to the, the procreation of the gospel. It led to the expansion of the church. It led to the New Testament church. It led to what we call evangelism today. It led to the great, great works. Book of Revelation talks about the churches of Asia. That all happened because of that verse right there. Those who had been scattered. Why? Because of Paul, Saul, and all the persecution, the changes. Now, preach the word. So, number one, change can be very hurtful and can be very painful. But there's a reason. Believers fled from Jerusalem, and it would happen all through the, all through the years it would happen. Um, in the 80s, there was a, there was a crazy professor at a university here in the United States. I think it was uh, out of Princeton, I think. I can't remember. It was Harvard, Princeton, Yale, one of the Ivy League schools who came up with this doctrine. Some of the older people will remember this. Remember when they came out with the doctrine, God is dead? Anybody remember that when that, that was the, the philosophers and the, they, they came that out with that. It made Time Magazine. 
It, it made magazines all over the place. It was being taught in our colleges. God is dead. Man, I was mad. I was upset. I thought, what a stupid thing for that guy to say. It was the best thing ever. I'm so glad he said that. Because people rose up and said, he's not dead, he's alive. They rose up and said, he's not dead, he's alive. And in the 80s, there was a great, a great explosion of evangelism in America. Some of the greatest times we know in the church of today happened in the 80s. Because people rose up and said, he's not dead, he's alive. Why? I'll show you he's alive. Look at my life. I'm full of God. I'm full of the... You can tell he's alive because look at me. And it just put a spark in the church. It fired up the church. Why? Because the change was said from the top. God is dead. And we said, of course, no, he's not. He is not. Number two, God puts change in our lives because he has something better. God changes things in our lives because he has something better. First of all, change does involve pain. How many here have moved more, say, at least once in your lifetime from one house to another? Probably 90% of it, anyway, have moved at least once. It, it is a pain, isn't it? I, I, I don't like moving. I've, I've had people actually tell me when I moved from one church to another, they said, you must really love this. I go, yeah, kind of like uh, a poke in the eye with a sharp stick, love. I just, I don't like moving. I don't like putting all my stuff in boxes, and they're heavy. Load them up in the truck, and that's heavy. And you unload them, and that's heavy again. And you unpack them, that's heavy again. And you put it back up, and then about 10 years later, you put it all back in boxes, and that's heavy, and you put it back in the truck, and so forth and so on. I don't like it. And I don't think most of you like it either when it comes to that kind of change. Um, God is good. He's really good. And his will and purpose is for good. It's for good. However, <laughs> when we move to a better place, it may seem like it's painful and hard, but God has a purpose that's far, always good, always, always wonderful, but not easy. Sometimes we feel, why has God hurt me? You ever feel like, why, God, have you hurt me? And I heard, I heard someone once say, uh, he said, God may hurt you, but he'll never harm you. And I kind of like that. I've been hurt. I've even been hurt by God. God, why did you take the life of that person? God, why didn't you let them live? God, why did you call me to do that? God, why did you tell me to give that away? God, why did you do that, this, that, and so forth that didn't go with my plans? And it sort of hurt me and hurt my feelings and hurt my pride and hurt my integrity and Showed me that I, I wasn't very graceful, uh, but God never harmed me. He always did it for his good, and he does it for his good in you. You may be upset right now with God. You may be upset with some of the things he's done. Why could he allow me to go through pain? Why does my, my left leg hurt? Why does my ear hurt? Why, why does my body like it is? Why, why, when I look in the mirror, do I not look like somebody really handsome, like John Howe? Why don't we all look like John? Thanks for the $20 bill, John. <clears throat> anyway, uh, we do, all, all of us have things that we think, why am I hurting like this? I'll tell you, for me, the first time I really felt that 
was my dad. The second time was my mom. And the third time was when I got cancer. And just, why? What have I done wrong? What did I mess up? Lord, are you sure you're doing the right thing here? I questioned God as, as to his ability of handling my account. You know, he thought, maybe you didn't quite have it right. Maybe you got me mixed up with a bad guy down the street. And you got our names mixed up. But God always makes that which the change that seems to be so bad will turn out good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's perspective is a higher perspective. Uh, real quickly, the story of Joseph. You all know it. Joseph sold into slavery. Joseph uh, uh, serving as a servant in, in uh, <clears throat> the household of a ranking person of Egypt. Then falsely accused and then thrown in jail and then suffering like that. And then being sold by his brothers and breaking his dad's heart and all kinds of bad stuff happening to Joseph. But the, the whole thing summed up when the brothers finally come back to see the one they had betrayed, their own brother that they sold into slavery. When they finally saw him, Joseph looked at him and said lovingly to them, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. And in your life, what might seem to be evil, God means it for good, for good. Um, number three when we move into change into the new it often means we need to let go of the old when you move in change you have changes in your life you've got to let go of the old you've got to let go of the old hanging on to the old stuff will not do you any good it's a funny thing about Christians. You'd think that Christians would think about all the good things and let the bad stuff go, wouldn't you? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to just forget the past and remember the blessings of God today? But a lot of Christians in America, probably worldwide too, they remember the old stuff. So-and-so really hurt me. I couldn't believe that happened. Why? I went through something so bad. And they remember the details, and sadly, they share it over and over and over with any other Christian who wants to hear it. And sometimes even non-Christians, they share their disappointments and rarely say the good. So that's exactly opposite of what God wants. God wants us to learn how to forget the changes that hurt us and to move on to the blessings that God has for you today. I, funny thing, I'm, I'm brilliant. I finally figured this out. Really, really high IQ I figured out. I can't change my past. That took a lot of brain power, didn't it? How many of you can change your past? Any of you? No, you can't really. It's funny thing, things that we hang on to, we can't change it. It's done. It's happened. I wish it hadn't happened to you. I wish it hadn't happened to me, but it's done. Now, I either live in the past and, in, and the change that took place then, or I'm ready to move into the new. Uh, I'll tell you a real quick story about Doug Poole. Doug Poole, one of the dear brothers of the church here who had gone on to glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for Doug. Uh, back in the um, late 80s, mid-80s, mid I think. I can't remember the year exactly, but uh, on a Sunday night, Doug came into the church. First time I ever met Doug. And he sat near the back, 
when we were about halfway through the service when he came in. And I have to tell you, in those days, Sunday night was a happening service. We had a big crowd on a Sunday night. A little different than it is now, but uh, uh, most churches like us don't have Sunday night even. People have lost interest. They're too busy. You know, whatever. It's happened. We can't, cha- we can't change it, can we? So there it is. Uh, but Doug came in and just stared at me. I mean, he stared. Doug wasn't a real big guy, but he had a mean stare. <laughs> and uh, all of us knew Doug was there. I didn't know who he was. I, I, I think, Tina, maybe your dad knew who he was. Maybe Dick Blue knew who he was because he was a, a, a GM worker. Some of the guys knew of him in a general way but didn't really know him that much. But as it turned out that night, Doug was set free. He was bound. He was bound by spirits. Bad situation in his life. Suicidal spirit all over Doug. He was ready to kill himself. A, a murderous spirit in him. He'd kill someone else. He was so mad at life and himself and God. And, and we literally wrestled with Doug. A number of the men of the church, we literally wrestled with him uh, at the altar. I mean, it was a wrestling match. Margaret, were you there? You saw that happen? Yeah. And... Uh, Doug finally reached the point in his life where I said, I said, Doug, you've got to let go. You've got to. And we were all commanding in the name of Jesus. And finally, the innermost part of Doug, the real Doug, the nice guy, the sweet guy, the, the really precious person that Doug was, said, I need help. And cried out. And when he let go, he let go. And God filled him that night and blessed him that night. And Doug's life was consistent from that day to the day he passed into glory. Because he let go. He let go. I couldn't take it out of him. None of the other brothers could take it out of him. We couldn't sing it out of him. We couldn't scream it out of him. He had to let go. May I say for you. The rut that you might have been in, or possibly you're in now. Nobody's going to change it for you until you let go. Until you give it up and say, I give it up. It's done. One more story. Oh, four. Oh, let me go to four and I'll tell you the story later. Number four, uh, change always makes us dependent upon God always I remember a couple times in Bible college especially and early in our ministry God said and I knew it was the voice of God nobody told me to do this said give everything you have in your bank account to this missionary now when you're making $40 a week which I think is about what I was making when I was in Bible college and my bills were about 70. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going running backwards, right. And I was, Marianne and I both did everything we could to keep food on the table. It was really, really a struggle, like it is for a lot of people. Uh, and then God says, everything you have, give it away to such and such missionary. By the way, you know, the Moors are coming to our church in, down the road here sometime. 
to coming back. But uh, we did it. Not easy. Painful. What a change. Had, but every time, every time I said this, oh, God, there's nothing I can do. Please take care of this matter. I can't do anything. This is so weird what you asked me to do. I am so scared. I, I, uh, I can hardly pay my bills. I can't even pay my bills now. And you asked me to get away. What's going on? And God said, hey, you're finally trusting me. Hey, you're finally getting the idea. Hey, it's time you wake up. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And when we make changes in our lives, almost always it means we have to trust him or we just won't make it. Story about Russ Dunaway. How many here remember Russ Dunaway? Oh, about half of you. Good. Russ Dunaway was a youth pastor here uh, uh, 30 years ago or so. And... uh, When Russ came to me, uh, he was, uh, he had just had some bad experiences in his life, in the ministry. But I saw in Russ something I really loved. I, I loved his energy. I loved his weirdness. I, I, I loved the fact that he loved God. He was like a loose cannon. He was like a wild man in some ways, but I just loved the guy. And I asked him to be our youth pastor. I thought, what a great influence for our youth. Anyway, he did a great job with our youth. Uh, but Russ, prior to coming on board with us, had been in Vietnam. And in Vietnam, uh, a grenade went off near him, and it blew off a big chunk of his head. I don't know how many of you know this. And they had to do extensive surgery on his head. Metal plate in his head. It's still there. He never liked it when I caught him. Hey, metalhead. He didn't like it, but, <laughs> but it, they did that, and uh, he was decorated. He was uh, a, a, a very uh, wonderful patron of our country. He, he nearly gave his life for it, but Russ told me, I, I remember talking to him one day. He said, you know, when I was in Vietnam, he said, before I went to Vietnam, he said, I met lots of guys who were atheists. He said, when I was in Vietnam... It's a funny thing, I never met any. Isn't that a funny thing? That when those young men and women were over there in Vietnam and their lives were taken daily, it'd be 100 guys and gals killed, 200, whatever. Lots of people died during Vietnam. Lots and lots of people. I lost, out of my high school class, I've lost four or five. Marianne's lost a couple out of her class. Some of you have people you went to high school with that are gone because of Vietnam. And, and Russ said, no, none of them are atheists over there. You know why? Because they're in that situation, when they're not in a rut, when they're not in the ease of life, when they don't have everything going the way it should go, the way they want it to go, when they're in a very tough, tough environment, they say, God, I need your help. So you wonder why God puts you through pain? You wonder why you have to go through changes in your life? Is it so that God can get you ready Get you ready for something really wonderful in your life. Today's church is pretty, pretty weak in America in the sense of tough Christians. There are not a lot of tough Christians left. Most Christians, are, Pastor Pete told me, and I, I don't know if I got this exactly right, but now the average attendance uh, for church in a month is two services. 
for what they consider full-time Christians, dedicated Christians. Two, that includes Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, prayer meetings, special events, whatever, whatever, not softball, but uh, maybe that, I don't know. But uh, church events. Isn't that something? Two times out of a month. Well, we all got something. I mean, he, I mean, after all, he did make the world, so he owned a little something. I can give him an hour twice a month, you know. I mean, after all, he is God, so I got to give him a little bit of something. But uh, we're pretty, we're pretty well stuck in the in the mud. Would you say the American church is kind of in a rut? Yeah, I see young people shaking their head. Even the youngest ones here going, yeah. I think we all see it. We're pretty soft. If, if we had to go to war, everyone in this room, and all the rooms in America today that are hearing the gospel, if they actually had to go to a physical war, we wouldn't last very long, would we? Not without technology. We wouldn't last very long. Because we're soft. And spiritually, same way. We're pretty soft. So what does God want to do? He tries to toughen us. And when he tries to toughen us, we refuse and rebuke and say, I don't like what God's doing. I don't like this hurting in my body. I don't like this hurting in my finances. I don't like my marriage being under attack. I don't like this happening. And we go the other way. We go against God instead of for God. And all the time, God's saying, you're going through change so you'll become dependent upon me. On me. Yeah. God wants us to depend on him, not on your good job, not on your husband, not on your wife, not on your kids, not on your parents, not on the U.S. government, not on anything but him. Is it, are those things bad that I just mentioned? Not at all. They're good. I think the government's good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And uh, he says, please depend upon me. Like Russ said, in Vietnam... There were no atheists because they had to trust in something. Last one. I thought there'd be applause. Sorry. <clears throat> Last point. <laughs> change is a time to forget, and change is a time to remember. Um, hmm. Every time that Mary and I have moved, something happens, and it, I, I don't know if this is true of everyone, but it certainly was true of us. And a lot of people I've talked with, they did the same thing. When you move, and if you have time to get ready to move, you go through your stuff and you throw some of your junk away. You ever notice that? Like, I don't want to take a bunch of those old... We had a, I remember the last move from Mansfield. In my garage, I must have had 30 old flower pots. Those plastic ones, you know, you buy. And I, I don't know why I saved them, but I always saved those things. I could use them for something. And so we're ready to move. I, get, I, I could have filled two boxes with these old yucky, dirty flower pots or plastic. You know, you get your pot of plants in. And I threw them out. I probably would still have them if we were in Mansfield. I'd probably have 50 now. But the point is, when you move, when change takes place, a lot of times you throw the junk away. Hmm. Is it possible that when we have changes in our lives, we begin to throw the junk away? Is it possible that when we're happy, content, maybe in, in a rut or maybe stuck in the mud, that we don't want to change anything? Ah, everything's just fine. Everything's good. My life is happy. You know, everything's cool. That we don't want to change anything? Is it possible that Christians can feel the same way about their spiritual walk? 
that unless there's a change in our lives, unless God stirs us. I used to sing in a, a trio in Rockford, Illinois, and we sang a song that I loved the song. It was called, the name of the song was Stirred But Not Changed. Man, is that a good song. Because so often Christian people get stirred, but they're not changed. We're stirred, but not changed. Lord, I need a change. Lord, we need a change. Amen? Our church needs a change. Our church needs a change. We don't want to be stuck in the mud. We don't want to. Willis, if we sang the same four songs, whatever, four, three, four, five, every, I mean, every single Sunday for the last 10 years, we'd really know those songs, wouldn't we? But we'd be so tired of them. <laughs> we really would. If we sang them over and over and over, just four or five songs, same one, same one, same one, same arrangement, same everything. Uh, I mean, the song's still good, but we're stuck in the rut. We're stuck in the mud. God wants to change our lives. He wants to change our attitudes. He wants to change our direction. He wants to change you so that you depend on him, so that you trust him, so that he can bless you, so that he can do a miracle for you. You're not going to get a miracle unless you open your hand. Change is a time to forget, and it's a time to remember. During change, we remember how good God is. We remember what he can do. He's an awesome Awesome God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14 is our next scripture. You know, there's things in our lives we need to throw away, and some things we need to cling to. We need to throw away some of those habits and sins and shortcomings and faults. One of the things, I wish I could preach this to the whole church, and I could say it with such intensity that it would really work and say, why don't you give everything to the Lord God, your Savior. Why don't you give everything to God? Why is it that you want to give a little and not a lot? Why can't you surrender? What's wrong? What's keeping you from not giving it all to God? Whether it's your resources, your time. But the scripture says, now that I have already obtained all this, oh, I mean, not, big difference. Not, that I have already obtained all this, certainly not, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Finally, he says, I press on toward the goal to give the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we don't realize it, but we carry around a, a little, little bag. Now, I thought about bringing a bag here. But imagine I've got a brown bag about this big, and it's leather, and it's got a leather drawstring at the top, all right? Now, in that bag, there are three letters. And one of them is the letter H. One is the letter uh, S. And the other is the letter O. And we Christians say, I don't, they have, these things I used to hang on to closely, but I just have them in a bag now. And you seal the top. Well, you find out that that H stands for hurts. 
A lot of Christians carry a bag around them with all the hurts in them. And every so often they reach that bag and pull out an H and say, man, that guy really hurt me. That gal really hurt me. I am so hurt. That hurts so bad. Hurt, hurt, hurt. Then they put it back in the bag. Then you reach in the bag and you pull out an S. Oh, that S stands for slights. Have you ever been slighted? I have. I think I've been slighted more than I've been hurt. People just act like I'm not even alive. They act like you don't even care. I don't want to make eye contact with you. I just don't want to do it. And I take it out once in a while and say, oh, I remember when that person slighted me. I remember when she slighted me. I remember when he slighted me. I remember when that pastor slighted me. I remember when the elders slighted me. I, I remember when they slighted me and put it back in the bag. And then I reach in there and there's an O. The O is the big one, I think. Offenses. I have been offended. I have been offended. Honestly, is there anyone here who's never, ever been offended? Raise your hand quietly. Oh, funny, I can't even see one hand. We've all been offended, haven't we? But the problem is with offenses is that we put it back in the bag and we carry it around with us. Always going with my bag. I got my nice little bag, carrying it around. And every time, when I got a little spare time, I just open the bag and say, oh, oh, offenses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, slighted. Done that. Done that, done, done that a lot. Been hurt. H hurts. Yeah. But then Philippians that we just read says, you don't have to be like that anymore. Would you have the nerve to surrender that bag? Could you give your bag away? Could you give those letters away? Is it possible you can live without them? Is it possible your life would be better without them? Of course it is. Is God ready to do something great in your life? Yes, he is. He just says, give it up. Give it up. So, change involves pain. Pain and change sometimes makes our lives better. We have to let go of the old before we can take the new. It makes us dependent upon God. And finally, change makes us forget and change makes us remember. Would you please stand with me? Thirty-three minutes, I think. Not bad. If I'd left out that one story, I could have got it under that. Folks, a very real message. I, I have dealt with uh, a, lot of, a lot of Christians over the years. And I've met so many Christians who carry bags around with them. And the biggest one is that little bag that have the letters in it that just say, I've really been hurt. I've really been offended. And sometimes they've been offended by some of their best friends are the people they love the most. It wasn't by bad people. And you know, when you, get, when you get offended by a bad person, you kind of go, oh, drop dead. I don't care about him anyway. But when it's somebody you love, someone you respect, somebody you thought loved you as much, and they seem to have slighted you, they seem to have hurt you, they seem to offend you, you put it in the bag and you keep it. It's time to let go of that bag. I mean, it's time to let go of it. If I had a fire up here, I'd have you come up here and throw it in a fire. Burn it up. Burn it up. Can you see in your mind taking that bag and just throw it in that fire? Throw it in there. Burn it up, Lord. You've had some changes in your life. They hurt. 
but you're dependent upon God now. Hallelujah. God will make you a better person because of changes. God's helping you to remember what you should remember and forget what you should forget. But one thing we all have to do is get rid of that bag. Stop drawing from that bag of remembrance. All the hurts. All the pain. All the slights. I don't know if it helps you any, but I've been there too. Mary Ann's been there. Everyone in this building's been there. We've all been there. The difference is, what do you do with your changes? Do you keep them or do you throw them away? I'm ready to get rid of mine. How about you? I want to get rid of mine. I want to get rid of I want to throw my bag in the fire. Burn it. Burn it. I never want to have it again. Years ago, we used to sing a song that said, here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup. Fill it up. Feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup. When my bag's thrown in the fire, I can lift up that bag and say, Lord, whatever change I go through, whatever I go through, I know you're with me. And I know you will do an awesome thing in my life. Let's pray. Lord, I lift up my cup to you. I lift up my life to you. Fill it with your love. Fill it with your glory. Fill it with your care. Fill it with the Holy Spirit. Fill it with your person. Fill it, Lord. Oh, God, and if, if I've allowed myself to carry around that brown bag full of those letters of pain and suffering and slights and hurts, oh, God, help me to get rid of it. I know only you can do it. Lord, I want to throw it in the fire of forgetfulness, the fire of forever, ever, never returning fire. Oh, God, bless every person here today. Do a work in our lives. Lord, I feel for some of the young people here today that they're going through things. They've been hurt. They've been slighted. They've been put down. They've been offended. Heal them, Lord. Heal them. And as that change has taken place in their life, may that which seemed to hurt them now become the victory. That which was meant for evil, God means for good. Lord, for young couples and younger married people, Lord, I sense in their hearts too, we've been hurt. I've never told everyone all the hurts I've gone through, but I really hurt. God, help me to get rid of the hurt. God, help me to get rid of the offenses. God, help me to get rid of these things. They've changed me, and I want to be changed into the likeness of Jesus. I don't want to be changed into an evil or, ne or negative person. I want to be like Jesus. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I pray for them, Lord. God, take care of them. For our older part of the congregation, we too, Lord, have carried around bags of hurt, bags of slight, bags of offenses. Lord, I want to throw mine in the fire. And I want all the other senior people in this church, senior Christians, to throw theirs in that fire. It says, God is my strength. God is good. God is glorious. God is to be praised. I will be set free from that bondage. Lord, thank you for changes in our lives. Thank you for the changes that are taking place in families. Thank you for the changes that are taking place all around us. One thing we know, Lord, 
we will never change in loving you. We will never change in serving you. We will always, always, always seek you first and your kingdom and your righteousness. And I know that everything else in life will be added unto us, Lord. Now bless this congregation. In Jesus' name. And ladies and gentlemen, I just feel like I need to go one more step. I think it, we're, we're not very big in number. And uh, With your heads bowed, does anybody say, you know, maybe part of the process of me burning that bag up that's got those letters in it that I'm reminded all the time of hurt, hurt, hurt. Slights, slights, slights. And offenses, offenses, offenses. I'm reminded of them. And I'm going to raise my hand. But if you say, by raising my hand, that's the beginning of throwing that bag away. I want to throw it away. Everyone here that wants to throw it away, raise your hand. You want to throw it away. Wow. Hey, that's about 90% of the church. God bless you. Others, you're thinking about it. Even if you didn't raise your hand, God's going to do it for you. He's going to do it just the same. But that was just a step. That was just a process. So, Lord, you saw the hands. You saw the need. You saw the sincerity. You saw our hearts. You saw those that didn't raise their hands, but it's just as important to them, Lord. God bless us. Free us. In Jesus' name.